0: Today on the show we have Joel Burgett. Joel and I were at Recur Center last year. Oh, cool. And so that's how we know each other. And he's has some cool projects. Has uh, This is a while ago, and but had a cool article in Code Words about algebraic data types.
1: Uh, yeah, so Pam and I actually, we haven't really talked since RC, and so uh, quite a bit has happened. And I think when we last talked, we were leaving RC and I was getting ready to fly to Bali, um, for, to to start my post RC life. Actually, where, where do you think I am right now?
0: So I saw a photo of you in New York.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, spoiler, uh, I, I gave up on, so Nomadic after thing. RC, I gave up on this digital nomad. Yeah. So I tried to be a digital nomad kind of thing, um, in Bali and I've, I've kind of, given up on that. Um, so uh, my my plan was to work on this project that I had been working on at Recurse Center, um, which is related to the algebraic data types article that you mentioned. So um, I was working on this programming language, which I called Pigment, um, which you can find on my GitHub. Um, it's a little bit dead at the moment, um, but I'm still working on related stuff. Uh, so I immediately after RC, uh, I flew to Bali and I lived in Indonesia for about three or four months, um, and then I did a little bit of time in Japan, uh, and then after that, my plan was actually to start a PhD in Glasgow, um, so I got accepted into this PhD program, um, I I had a ticket booked to fly to Glasgow, um, but what there was this issue where my visa didn't come through in time. Um, so so I flew to Glasgow in September, uh, to start this program, uh, but my visa hadn't, hadn't arrived. And so I was only able to stay in Glasgow for a couple of weeks and then had to kind of come back to the U S and, and wait out, uh, until the next term. Uh, so a while back here, I picked up some work and started doing some consulting in New York, uh, and decided that, uh, Glasgow was, was not really the, the best environment for me, but, um, New York was, a good environment in a lot of ways. And so I decided to actually just move back to New York um, and go to the PhD thing. Uh, but I was lucky enough to find work in programming languages uh, very related to what I was working on at RC and what, like I, what I love to do. Yeah. Um, so I'm working on this programming language at the moment called Hopper. Um, Hopper, so, like Grace Hopper? Yeah, exactly. That's where the name comes from.
0: Is it on your GitHub?
1: Uh, it's not on my GitHub. Uh, you can find it at github.com slash hopper dash lang slash hopper. Um, so this project is kind of, it's actually kind of sponsored by JP Morgan. It's, it's not kind of sponsored by JP Morgan. It is sponsored by JP Morgan. Um,
0: I, I work, I work
1: at JP Morgan now. I didn't expect to ever say that, but, uh, I've, i yeah, I work for the, the the big empire now. Um and so there's this group of at the moment there are three of us um who work pretty heavily on this language. Um so I kind of split when, my time between when did working hopper on start? this. I
0: feel like I've heard of it. Uh
1: it's it's very it's very new. Um it's so new in fact that you can't really run a hopper program. Oh,
0: okay. Um, so there's
2: it's, no, I think it's, I it's
1: kind okay. of it's kind of in the design stages. Okay. Uh, so I, I kind of split my t- time between working on Hopper and doing front-end web stuff, uh, like React and uh, data visualization, that kind of stuff. Um, so there are three of us working on the language, and it has some really cool stuff. Um, we can get into that if, if you like. Um, it's So it's definitely related to, so when we talked about me coming on the program, uh, I guess the prompt was that article I'd written on the algebra and calculus of algebraic data types, which we can talk about. Um, I'm not sure how easy that is to explain on the air, uh, but we can talk about Hopper. We can it's talk really about. It's
0: really entertaining <laughs> to try.
1: Okay, yeah, let's 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 get into it. Where to start? So in a language like Haskell, when you are defining your data types, it's they they take a form which is very unlike uh, so it's i think it's a little bit more familiar to describe data types the way we typically would in say javascript or c um, or python uh, kind of the the more familiar like class or structure based approach where you say like hey here's here's this kind of layout in memory where we have all these things and you can access like some object.x or some object that y. Um, whereas in a language like Haskell, we approach it a little bit differently, and we say, like, hey, we're defining this data type called a point, uh, for example. And let's say we're defining a 2D point, and it has fields called x and y, which are, say, floats. Um, so what we've just described, so that's that's an algebraic data type, and uh, the way we described it, we said, hey, this thing has x and y um and so there's this this deep correspondence uh this this is where it gets kind of difficult to describe but there's this this deep correspondence between uh saying and and kind of a multiplication uh and if we had said or instead so with algebraic data types you could say hey uh for example a boolean if we're if we're trying to describe the boolean data type we could say it's true or false um and so in this correspondence that's that corresponds to a plus. Um, And so I I go over all this in a lot more detail in that article that I wrote. But uh, at the end, what happens is you can use regular calculus, like the stuff we learned in high school, to kind of do operations, to do calculus. You can take the derivative of a data type. And that's actually a semi-useful thing. Uh, So this researcher, Connor McBride, used this, derivative of a data type operation to say what it means. So there's this thing in functional programming called a zipper, uh, which we don't need to get into, but he used derivatives to automatically define a zipper for any data structure, which is pretty cool. Um, it's kind of obtuse, uh, but it's, it can be useful. Um, so that's... And, and then it's, it's useful for some other things as well. Um, my One of my colleagues, Carter, who... Carter McBride... Uh, Carter Schoenwald, who is also working on Hopper, uh, is using some similar tricks to kind of describe when a data type is valid, when when we should accept a data type definition in Hopper language. Um, so it's it's a it's a pretty deep rabbit hole, um, and I think that's probably about as far as we want to go down it now. What problem
2: did you have that you got into types?
1: I would say that I. I could try to justify my interest in the, the algebra and calculus of algebraic data types um, by, by saying that it's useful. And it, it can be slightly useful in trying to implement data types in a programming language. But I think the real answer is just that it's pretty cool. It's this neat trick. Um, and it's, it's kind of fun to, to think of why is, it, why is it actually a useful operation to, to do calculus on data types? So why is that meaningful? Calculus is this. Uh, calculus comes from a completely different domain. It comes from physics, where everything is very continuous. Uh, but it's possible to to use calculus in this completely different domain of type theory, where everything is very discrete, and it still has meaning.
3: Did you have a like a history with Haskell? I guess before you start working in Hopper, or uh, what what made you choose Haskell as the implementation language for Hopper? My history with
1: Haskell goes back pretty far. I first discovered it when I was, I think, a freshman in college. So that would have been back in probably 2008. Um, And then I picked it up a little bit more and more over time. And like usual, it took me two or three tries to really get the language and feel comfortable with it. And within a few years, it was my primary language for hobby coding outside of school or work. Um, where I could choose the language that I wanted to use. That was almost a decade ago now, and I've been using it fairly heavily since then. Actually, when when I started working on Pigment, I made the conscious decision to not write it in Haskell because I wanted it to run in the browser, uh, and I wanted it to run in your browser. I didn't want to be making essentially RPCs or API calls as you were working in Pigment, so... And the reason for that is because I think that the experience is a little bit worse when you're typing and you want something to happen immediately. And my conception of what I wanted Pigment to be was a language where everything happens very immediately uh, and the language, and you interact a lot with the language, the language gives you a lot of help. Um, We can talk about that a little bit more, but I didn't think that that was really possible to do with Haskell. I, I did try compiling Haskell to JavaScript, which was another rabbit hole, which, which took me a while to, to dig myself out of, but um, made was the it decision. a really,
0: that, really bad I- idea?
1: Yeah, it was, it was a really, really bad idea. Uh, it's, it's one of those ideas that always seems like, which feels like it could work Pretty, which feels like it works almost well enough. And you almost feel like it's working well enough, but it never quite works 100%. And so it, it works kind of well enough to keep you invested in it and keep you working on it, um, but never well enough to be fully satisfying. I eventually... So I, I tried to work with Haskell and JavaScript together for quite a while, but eventually decided that, that there was this... That if, if you want to write really satisfying web front-ends, you need to use JavaScript because there's a whole community focused on writing good web front-ends. And the JavaScript community actually does it pretty well. Um, I mean, the JavaScript community has has its faults, but I think that they write better better UIs than almost any other community. And so they have tooling built up around that.
0: A lot of tooling. Yeah, they have Did all you, these
1: really Oh, they I was going to really ask cool if tricks, you ever checked out like, Pearscripts. Uh, I haven't really used PureScript. Um, I, I think so one reason that I wanted to use JavaScript itself is because there's all because of all the libraries that are built up in JavaScript. Maybe you can access them from PureScript. I'm not exactly sure.
3: You can. Uh, PureScript but... has Interop and also um, Elm, which is another like Haskell inspired JavaScript language, has uh, interop as well.
1: I played around with Elm a little bit, and I I like the language a lot. I like the ideas a lot. I have a lot of respect for Evan, the the creator of Elm. Um, but it I've never felt any I've never felt fully satisfied writing UIs in any environment other than JavaScript because uh, it has because of the native tooling it has built in. Um, I guess right now I'm thinking of the the community's excitement around tools like. React and Redux and React Hot Loader, these things that allow you to pretty easily get this environment set up where you can change uh, you can change your source file and then have it hot injected into the page in a couple seconds, uh, and that kind of iteration speed is really helpful when trying to build a nice UI. Right. Have you played with Closure Script at all? No, not really. I like types. Okay. Uh, the only so reason, even, even even with JavaScripts. I've used Flow, uh, Facebook's tool, okay. um, to to get type annotations in JavaScript. The only reason I asked is you were talking about
2: the hot reloading stuff, and there's a cool tool called Fig Wheel um, that, that does that, um, or has been doing that for some time.
1: So how do you like uh, Facebook's Flow? Flow is great. Uh, I can't really compare it um, to TypeScript, because I've never used TypeScript by itself, um, but I mean, I, I don't really see any reason to not use all the Facebook tooling. They have just this excellent set of tools that kind of started with React, but now includes Flow and ImmutableJS. And I guess they even have uh, Nuclide, their their editor, built around Atom. So they have this whole set of tooling, which works really well together for building front-end UIs.
0: I'm, like, grabbing all of these links to put them in the show notes.
1: <laughs> so you build, you're working on a React front-end at work? Yeah, so the reason the, the reason I really went to J.P. Morgan in the first place was to work on Hopper, uh, and I is this
2: is this a to, jobby job?
1: It, yeah, it's a jobby job. It's, oh. I was I was doing non job. I was I was consulting for a few months, uh, starting in September, October, until February. But this is the this is a real one. Uh, and so, so I I went to Facebook, or sorry, not Facebook. I went to J.P. Morgan to work on Hopper. Uh, but it, there's not always work for me to do on Hopper, but there does always seem to be work for me to do on UI stuff. So I'm building a couple things. I've built a heat map thing, uh, which is not actually a heat map. It's just, it's a list with, with colors that we like to call a heat map, um, which traders can use to, to see what, uh, what stocks are, are being traded, uh, or what stocks are kind of being actively traded and what sectors are actively being traded. Um, I built that. Uh, I built this dashboard for this other tool called Juno, which Hopper is related to. So Juno is this distributed ledger system. Sometimes we call it a blockchain, even though it's not really a, distributed a what? blockchain distributed ledger, a uh, ledger ledger. Yeah. Uh, so we, we, sometimes called a blockchain because that's kind of a buzzword, but it's not really a blockchain. But I built this uh, dashboard so we can see, we can monitor the nodes that are running in a Juno cluster and see how many transactions are occurring and see what kind of, so we can see the consensus state, we can see uh, what the leader's doing, that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I find that I can work on Hopper roughly half the time, um, which I guess... I guess it's good enough for me uh, because there are not that many jobs in the world where you can actually work on programming languages at all.
0: Yeah. You mentioned being in the design stage of the programming language. And I think that would be something interesting. Like what is it, what is it like to be at that stage of designing the programming language? How are you interacting with people? Like how do you plan a programming language? It's,
1: (laughs) that's a good question. And I wish I, I wish I could say we're right now. What we're doing is we we spend a lot of time talking. We write some prototypes. Um, we have kind of this core idea of what we want the language to be. I think we all share kind of a common vision of what we think what, of what we need, uh, where we want to go long term, and we're just kind of trying to figure out uh, some of the details of what that looks like and what we need to do in the immediate future and. Kind of, so I guess the difficulty with a programming language is is they're all these kind of really, they're always kind of a really long-term project. And so a programming language is not completed in, unless it's JavaScript, it's not completed in a week or a month. It's more of like a year or a decade. And so the difficulty is finding a way to show progress on what you're working on and kind of show show business people or show potential users that stuff is coming along and that you're kind of building something useful and that uh, th- this is going to be a viable programming language at some point in the future. Uh, and so the trick is kind of finding these intermediate points where you, you can, uh, that you can get to along the way where you have kind of, a subset of the functionality there. And so right now, I think the trick for us is finding out what we can build that's not this whole grand vision, uh, but it, but is a nice stepping stone along the way that will get us there eventually. So there are a few features which we agree we want. Um, so these are kind of type theory things where we want a dependently typed system with linear types. And so that kind of relates to, um, Juno and uh, so I, I guess the the core use case for Hopper is a programming language to run on top of Juno, this distributed ledger system where you can basically send money. So this is a J.P. Morgan project. So uh, it's money is involved. A, m- m- it's it's a way yeah it's a way to say like hey Alice is sending five dollars to Bob um, and we want to make sure that that's kind of distributed across all these different servers across the world so that the server in London and the server in Tokyo and the server in New York and San Francisco are all on the same page eventually. They're eventually consistent. Um, And we want to be able to do that in such a way that Alice can't send the same $5 twice or three times. It needs to be sent only once. And we Want to make sure that everything, so we we want to make sure that kind of everything levels up at the end and there's no money that's double spent or no money that's kind of gone missing. So we need to figure out how to do those things at kind of a language level. Um, and so we have pretty strong ideas about how to do that. What we don't really know at the moment is how to, how to build the first immediate thing that that will be easy to use. We, we need to figure out a syntax. We need to figure out, more importantly, the semantics, uh, the details of the semantics of the language. And it's it's just a, a lot of kind of talking and sketching things out and uh, and arguing about what we need to do next.
3: Are you pulling
2: from any languages?
1: Or? Yeah, so we get a lot of influence from Haskell. Haskell is probably the most widely known language that we're influenced by, but there are other languages um, like Agda and Idris. And there are actually a lot of papers that we're pulling from. Um, So there's... A lot of what we do, I guess I forgot to mention this, a lot of what we do is just reading papers and kind of digesting them and discussing what the actual point was and going over terminology and what papers actually bring to the table um, that's unique. Um, So I I think outside of actual languages, the biggest influence is papers.
2: So you have some listed and good background reading of the ReadMe?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I think I'm trying to remember what's in the ReadMe. I know I got plenty of nutting is in there that McBride paper um and then maybe the Olivier Danby uh are you looking at the readme now yeah
4: you want me a less time for
1: yeah well I don't know if, we, if you want to get into that it's oh. it's probably not not that
4: important have Do there you, been other languages that tried to solve eventual consistency like at the language level so the
1: the main thing that Hopper brings regarding eventual consistency is this notion of linear types um which is a way to say in the type system um kind of what i said about alice not spending the same money twice um it's it's actually it's it's much more general than that and so we're trying to figure out how to expose this in a way that's uh, kind of kind of clear, but the idea of being um, in a linearly typed language, you can say, hey, this value, say say you're given some x, this thing has to be used exactly once. Or you can say this x could be used many times or not, not any times at all. Um, so that gives us a lot of control over what kind of programs we can accept. Um, and the reason it's kind of important to do that at type checking time is because
3: once
1: is because we don't want to accept any programs into the language and then try to run them. And cause we're running these things kind of in a distributed way across the world. Um, because we would much rather know ahead of time that they're going to succeed, uh, rather than, I, I'm not even sure how, how this would work, how the user interaction would work if your program fails, uh, when it's running on top of Juno, you know, um, I guess it I guess yeah that's something that we would have to talk about um, as a team but uh, we want to have guarantees that programs will always succeed uh, before we run them so do you use flow at work uh, I haven't really had the chance to use flow at work yet okay. I there was this startup that I did some some work with alpha sheets who's building a startup or who is building a spreadsheet in the browser and they used flow pretty heavily more heavily than anyone else that I've I've seen. So I I did get the chance to use it there, but not in my current gig.
2: What would be your argument to use flow? Like if you had to go to your manager and say, I want to use flow, what what will your argument be for using types in JavaScript?
1: When I used to so I used to work at Khan Academy and we had this issue Several times. Um, I guess I've I've actually experienced this both at Khan Academy and at this other startup that I did, did some work with, Spring, where we are running JavaScript in the browser. And try your best. You you want to you do code review. You do tests. Um, you think that the code will work. But there's just no guarantee. And this code, this JavaScript code is running on the user's computer. And so sometimes things break. But once, but if they break when they're running on the user's computer, then it's a really frustrating situation because you, one, probably don't hear about it. But like it takes a special user to get in touch with you and say, like, hey, this, this code or something broke on my computer takes a really, really special user to say, hey, something broke, and it was this code, and I can give you the stack trace and tell you what happened. So my argument is that when you're sending code out into the world, I want very, very strong guarantees that it's not going to break on some user's computer because then all your guarantees are thrown out the window. Then once, once you've thrown an exception on user A's computer somewhere, uh, you have no idea what's going to happen. It's You just know that it's probably going to be a very bad experience for that user. So there are some tools to help with this in JavaScript land. Um, you can use some tools, I think. I remember Sentry and Errorception and there are probably many others which try to catch all exceptions and then send send you a stack trace. Uh, so it's a great way. So it's, it's something that you should definitely, definitely, definitely do if you're... Uh, running JavaScript on user's computer, you should use century or error exception to find, to catch the exceptions and see what exceptions are actually thrown in your user's computers. But more importantly, you should just use types because that's, that's what they exist for to give you strong guarantees that things are not going to break. So flow and TypeScript and, and whatever else just helps to helps, helps me to be sure to, to sleep at night um, knowing that, uh, my program typed correctly and it's that much less likely to break on a user's computer you sold me (laughs) we're gonna use flow (laughs)
4: glad to hear it
0: (laughs) when you've been doing react and stuff have you used any of those things
4: i was actually debating about using flow i was wondering how it works like uh to just partially apply it and just maybe annotate you know a, a thing here and there so I think
1: this is probably Flow's strong point um, as opposed compared to TypeScript because they have this concept of gradual typing in and I'm certainly no expert on this but uh, if Flow and if there are two pieces of code one of them is typed in Flow and the other is not typed in Flow then they'll kind of get along. They're not going to Break where they meet. They'll the one that's not typed will just kind of like do its thing. Um, and so I think flow is is wonderful in this way because you can add type annotations to parts of your program and hopefully over time add them to more and more of your program. And the pieces that have type annotations will all work together beautifully. And the pieces that don't have type annotations will still like they'll be okay too. They'll just keep doing their thing. They might be broken internally, uh, but uh, over time, you can slowly add more and more type annotations to your program uh, without having to do the whole thing all at once. Whereas I think with TypeScript, you're forced to do that a little bit more.
0: Uh, I mean, TypeScript allows you to. I mean, a JavaScript program is a, a like ES5 program is a valid TypeScript program. Mm-hmm. So they they're trying to do that kind of style so that you can uh, migrate things gradually.
1: Is that a new thing, or I I feel like I've I've heard this argument for flow over TypeScript um, several times, uh, but like I said, I don't really know the details.
0: Yeah, I maybe it's that you don't get the ben- the same benefits from the compiler. That might be it. Um, but I I when, cause I we, I've recently been looking into this a lot with doing Angular two stuff, and it seems like I mean I I think it's you know I'm. Especially with Angular 2, I'm more often in the situation where I'm starting from scratch so I can just do everything in TypeScript. But if I weren't, supposedly you can do it piecemeal.
1: Oh, cool. I guess thinking back, my main two reasons for using flow over TypeScript were back when I first made this decision probably a couple years ago, not not quite that long ago, at least a year ago, um, was that... Flow worked with JSX syntax, and TypeScript didn't at that time, though I think TypeScript may now. And also, Flow was from Facebook, so I was like, yeah, it'll probably just work with all the other Facebook tools that I'm using.
2: So how did you get the job? How do people hire people to work in a programming language?
1: I got really lucky. Uh, this So, like, Pam and I both did Recurse Center about a year ago, and after Recurse Center, I wasn't actively looking for a job, and so I didn't use their their job stuff but it turns out that rc has people who whose job is to connect you with employers and in my case they did a great job of finding probably the the best fit that i could imagine uh i don't like there, there are no other groups that i can think of industrial groups that are hiring programming language people so you got
2: connected through rc and then you did an interview and they're like we want you to work in a programming language
1: or yeah it, it was a fairly standard process Uh, I told RC what I was looking for and they came back to me with a few potential places and I interviewed at a few of them and uh, JP Morgan was the only one that had So, I mean there were intriguing possibilities at other places but JP Morgan was the only one that had a programming languages team.
2: One might think that JP Morgan would keep it uh, as closed source
1: but they're open sourcing it
0: like from the beginning. Yeah,
1: this was kind of a surprising. I, I don't want to call it a coup. It was a. It was a surprising uh, thing for us to be able to pull off within J.P. Morgan. Uh, I, I actually don't know of any other software that J.P. Morgan has open sourced. I, I guess the only other one is Juno, that distributed ledger system that I mentioned. Hopper works with. Uh, so Hopper and Juno have been open sourced and the idea is if we want people to actually use these things we would like we would like Juno to be used for inter-bank trading so it can't be just within j p morgan if we want there to be any adoption we we need this thing to be open sourced. and we need all the other banks goldman i don't know we need all the other banks to be able to read the source and and buy in and they're they're not going to use the system if it's some proprietary j p morgan thing So that was the reason for open sourcing it. And then Hopper is essentially the same reason that if we want all these other banks to be running it, if we want the community to contribute to it at all, it needs to be open source. The trick was getting buy-in from from management and I I didn't have anything to do with that, but uh, they've they've been pretty good about it, contrary to the reputation that, that they might have. Are there any other banks working on it with
2: you or just the three of you right now?
1: No, at the moment they are just these three guys working on it. Um, th- I guess the there's a little bit of a larger team doing Haskell. There are six people doing Haskell at J.P. Morgan, um, so there are three of us working on Hopper primarily, three of us working on Juno primarily. Although the two teams work very very closely together.
2: So you mentioned the uh, Hopper is to, to make sure that like Beth doesn't send two five bucks twice. Yeah. What problem is that trying to solve? Is it uh,
1: so, what, what bad things are people doing now and that this is going to take away or help with? Hmm. That's. I mean, I, I don't. I guess I don't have a a better answer than the fact that these are real dollars that we're talking about. Um, and so, if if Alice sends Bob five dollars twice, then she has literally we we. We're talking about like real bank accounts here, and so those either Alice does have that money in her account, and she has now accidentally spent ten dollars and and given Bob ten dollars, or she doesn't have that money in her, in her account, which may be worse because depending on how the system is implemented, like so this is like this is worst case. If the simple system is implemented poorly, then Alice could could use that fault to say, send Bob five dollars a million times. and she only has hundred dollars in her account. but now Bob is supposed to have five million dollars in his account. And hopefully uh, that money is not coming out of JP Morgan's wallet or like it, it has to come from somewhere. And so it's I guess this is really all about consistency um, and making sure that everyone has exactly how much they expect to be in their account, otherwise, we're going to get very angry calls.
0: If you were to explain what a blockchain is to someone who had never heard of it, what would you say?
1: I'm no expert on blockchain. Uh, but I think my my vague, hazy answer is that it's a system where there are transactions recorded, where transactions can hold data and refer to previous transactions do you do you know what a blockchain is are you quizzing me or i
0: actually am not i don't think i could explain it like i'm like a bitcoin and stuff and how you decide who like you know if alice and bob like if someone you know someone sends money that is only recorded once and I don't know if the blockchain also includes the privacy angle, but I know that there are some that you know somewhere where it's like you don't have like you can send money to someone, but you don't have to give up your identity in order to do so.
1: I, yeah, I'm not sure. I I don't. I'm tempted to say no one the knows how this works. I'm tempted <laughs> to say the privacy thing is not a fundamental part of the blockchain.
0: That is a I want to say
1: that I want to say that the fundamental parts of blockchain are the block, which is like some concept of data, and it's a chain, meaning like. This, these, this is like a chain of blocks where each block has data and it points to the previous blocks.
0: But it's like, how I is think, that different than the transaction log?
1: So I think you're all correct.
2: So blockchains, I used German to have is old, referencing
0: Wikipedia right now, by the way. I'm, I'm looking. <laughs> well, I
2: have an old boss that really likes Bitcoin and has explained blockchains <laughs> to me many times. But I think one of the key things that banks like it for is like sort of the tamper-proof uh, record of things. So, like, uh, you know what's in the system is in the system because no one has the power to sort of regenerate the ledger of transactions uh, based on whatever algorithm and distribution that they use. Uh, So it's just just a really solid record of what has happened in the world. I think
1: blockchain is also one of those terms that's kind of become corrupted. Mm -hmm. And people people have heard it so many. Yeah, it's like if you want your... Cool new technology to to sound intriguing, call it a blockchain system. Yeah, exactly.
0: I'm gonna put build something that is a blockchain on my two attempt list.
1: But this is a
2: good good we should have someone who is familiar with blockchains on the podcast now, because
0: I don't know. But like I I know they are not the same thing, but I can't separate blockchain from Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Well
2: Bitcoin uses and startups, started the blockchain stuff
1: or made it popular, I should say.
2: So what do you do for fun when you're not reading papers and writing Reacts?
1: Uh, well, like I said, I I wanted to be in New York over Glasgow. And I, I guess the reason for that is New York has so much fun uh, stuff to do. It's it's really not hard to, to find interesting activities going on. And so I, I think a lot of what I do is just kind of just like random uh random new york things or uh i guess eating as a hobby or explore. wait so that means you go
0: to avant-garde performance art what is what does new um, york things means to people
1: i yeah that that'd be a good example like on friday on friday <laughs> I I, on friday i went to some slam poetry and
0: oh you actually are doing it yeah stuff. like
1: yeah i went to slam poetry and then on saturday i went for a, joking, but actually a, like a long life. hike so that's cool it's it's like it's a really it's a really interesting kind of dynamic place where it's not hard to find unique things to do all the time um but but i guess more more concretely um oh no well i was gonna give a book recommendation because i do do some reading but i think we're gonna do picks after this so i'll, I'll hold off sweet segue Okay. All right. So that segued right into my book recommendation, *The Handmaid's Tale*. So I just finished this book last week. It's uh, it's kind of a dystopian novel by Margaret Atwood, um, which follows is from the point of view of this woman who lives in. What I guess is future North America, which has kind of become this puritanical place where as a handmaid, she uh, I don't want to give away too much, but she doesn't have a lot of a lot of rights as a woman. And I don't know, I don't I don't I don't want to give away too much, but I'm going to give it five five out of five stars. No, I I read. Oh, oh, it's I, things I was asked, you do. I, I was asked what I do, um, and so one of my I was hobbies like, is, I was wondering I
0: how the dystopian um, one of my
1: is reading. had
0: to do with living in New York. Has
1: has, <laughs> has nothing to do with New York, but it's a good book.
0: Oh. I agree. Actually, it's a really good book. If you haven't if you haven't read it before, it's definitely worth picking up. Uh, so I have a pick, and my pick is single serving waffles. Um, so I am, I have a, a day job that I am leaving and we have a waffle maker in the cafeteria and waffles are on Wednesdays and Fridays. And I brought my own batter and made vegan waffles using the waffle maker. Cause I don't have one at home cause that would be a luxury. So my pick is the luxury of having single serving waffles and I'm dropping y'all a recipe for vegan single serving waffles.
4: So I have another board game pick it's uh, online board games at yukita.de i just found this site and they have like um uh, maybe like 100 games um all like html javascript and they're like uh, basically like one term a, a day so you can play a game and maybe just play it like five minutes a day and they've got uh a lot of classics in there like uh castles of burgundy carcassonne uh stone age uh,
3: yep i'm gonna pick uh this website which i th- my understanding is it came out of um Facebook's AI M for their their messenger service. Uh, They bought a company called Wit AI, W-I-T-A-I. Oh, nice. Um, And then, so they bought them, they built Facebook M, and now that Wit AI is now open sourcing. Like, they have an API and this this, uh, website where you can build uh, natural language questions and response patterns. And I, I assume it uses machine learning in the background to try to infer what people are saying by, like, how you train it. Um, and then there's like libraries, uh, just kind of like rap making an API request. So essentially you can like make an app that, uh, like on a web page you could like type something. It, it's supposed to be like for messenger bots, but you could just do it for like a single question. Um, like if you had like a stock website, you could like say like, Hey, what is the, you know, dividend yield of the stock? And it would like, you could build that logic into it to figure that out. Um, I assume you could also use it to, like, make, uh, like, Alexa uh, responses. If, like, you just kind of, like, bucket all text into your Alexa app into this, you could use this as a back end to actually infer what the person's saying. So check it out. Uh, it's uh, wit.ai on the internet. And then there's a, on GitHub, there's a organization called wit-ai.
2: I've been wanting to use that for our internal bot. I'll have to check it out. Um, my music pick is a song by Drake called One Dance. The sample uh reminds me of Island music, which I'm very fond of. Um and my programming pick is a paper uh I think it's called Harvest and Yield. Uh we talked about it on uh, papers we love Philadelphia. Uh, it's, it's short, uh good read. Will definitely benefit you. Um and those are my picks.
0: So this has been episode eighty one of Turing Complete. Find us at Turing.cool on Twitter at Turing Cool, and I'll talk to you all next week.
2: Thanks, Joel. Thank you so much I was for coming. On. Thanks, Joel.
0: About oh, I forgot about the other important thing. If people want to get in touch with you or give you money or whatever, what do they do? Uh,
1: my Twitter handle handle is Dino Joel D I N O underscore Joel, and you can send me an email at joelburgett at gmail.com or just com is my website.
2: So is Hopper accepting pull requests or anything? Yeah, else? it is.
1: Okay. Cool. We'll try to put up some issues so it's more clear what people can work on. Nice. Bye. Well, cool. thanks Thank for having you.
3: me. Thanks again. All All right. See so. you.